again. Good morning again. Only a handful of people in this country know firsthand what Dr. Craig Spencer is going through right now, and one of them is Dr. Richard Saker, a missionary who was infected in Liberia. Dr. John LePook sat down with another member of that very small group. It is an interview you will see only on CBS This Morning. Dr. Rick Sacro was not working with Ebola patients when he became infected with the deadly virus. He was not even treating Ebola patients, and he got sick. Instead, he was delivering babies at a hospital in the capital city, Monrovia. But thanks to his own vigilance, he detected it immediately when his temperature started to rise on Friday. By Monday, he tested positive for Ebola. Five staff members at a time will watch Sacra around the clock, working on a buddy system to suit up and off each time in a specially designed room. There's literally thousands of people here and around the nation even around the world have been praying for me, and those prayers have been answered. Ever since I committed my life to Jesus as a young man, he has loved me, stood beside me, and given me his grace. But the outpouring of grace that I have experienced during my fight with Ebola has been especially generous. They can't help but wonder, would his outcome have been different without that evacuation flight? I just can imagine what it would be like for Debbie and the kids to lose me, and that would be, it would be heartbreaking. There's just a lot of thinking about what would life be like if we had to go on without him. So, um, anyway, we're thankful that we don't. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Dr. Richard Sacra. Thanks. They, they really make it hard around here. You know, they, they expect you to be all ready to give a nice talk, and then they show your wife crying on the video as you're <laughs> stepping on the stairs to, to go, come up and give your... Sermon. Um, but it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, what a privilege to share God's word together. Along with the story of how the Lord has worked uh, in our lives, uh, Debbie's here. Deb, uh, say hi. I... Uh, She's, she's been a, uh, a real rock through this thing, and uh, I appreciate her a lot. Um, I'm a family physician, and I've served as a missionary for over 15 years in Liberia, in West Africa, with, uh, with SIM, a non-denominational evangelical mission based in uh, Charlotte. And last year, at the end of a month uh, that I spent in Liberia, at SIM's ELWA hospital there in the midst of the Ebola crisis, I came down with an Ebola infection myself. Uh, I'm going to share with you some of, those, some of that story, and uh, we'll also be spending our time uh, in the Word of God this morning in Philippians chapter 1. What a rich chapter as Paul writes with joy from prison to uh, one of his first, the first plant, uh, churches that he planted. So let me read again for you the final two verses of our scripture for today, Philippians 1, 
29 through 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, it has been granted to you. And the, uh, in the Greek, uh, the word for granted is, comes from the same root as the word for grace, which is charis. So it's like Paul is saying, it's been granted, it's been graciously granted to you, or it's being poured out upon you along with God's grace. That's what this, it's been granted to you, is like. This is an echo back uh, to verse 7 of chapter 1, when Paul is talking about his joy about the Philippian church, and he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Partakers of grace. I just love that, that phrase. It's like we're all at a feast seated around the table and we're being served generous portions of the grace of God. If you have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, uh, you know, and chosen to make that your life's aim, then you, Paul is calling you a partaker of grace this morning. If you have not made that commitment before, maybe you're thinking about it, Paul is inviting you, come and join us and be a partaker of God's grace. Everything we're talking about today, whether victories of faith or, or suffering, it's all happening under the overarching umbrella, if you will, of, of God's grace. And this is really one of the pillars of our faith that in Christ, God is for us. He hears us. He loves us. He will never leave us. And he will always be about the business of growing us up more to be more like his son, Jesus. So under this umbrella of grace in verse 29, Paul stresses three verbs that I'd like to really uh, talk about in detail this morning. The three verbs are to believe, to suffer, and then engaged in the conflict. When Paul says believe, he says not only to believe, but also. So to believe is foundational. It's like Paul is almost assuming belief here for these Christians he's writing to. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my faith and my belief and how it held up for me during a life and death crisis. And then... Paul says not only to believe, but also to suffer. And we'll talk a little bit about the role of suffering in mission. And finally, we'll talk about what it means to be engaged in the conflict. What was this conflict that Paul was talking about? And what's it mean? How was the church also engaged in the same conflict that Paul was involved in? So the word for believe that's given here in verse 29 is pistuo, and it means to trust fully or to depend on. Our belief in Jesus Christ is not a mere intellectual assent 
or agreement with certain principles or facts. Uh, our faith is a trust. It's trusting in a person, the person of Jesus. And so in Christianity, it's really all about the relationship between the believer and Jesus Christ. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Is it the rock that you stand on every day? You know, it's kind of like any other relationship in that, just like in a relationship with my brother or my friend or even with my wife, the strength of the relationship depends on how much time we put into it. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. If we invest regularly in that relationship with him, then when we need it and when we need him, there's a balance uh, in our account, if you will, our relationship account with Jesus that we can draw on uh, when, we, when we have a need. You know, when I got sick last year, there were conversations that I had with God. I asked him to take care of my family. He said he could handle that. I asked him to glorify himself through what was happening in my life, and he did that. Faith is our side of the relationship and grace is God's side. And our faith, when it's, when it's working, when it's solid, can become the conduit through which God's grace can flow to us. You know, the word, the word of God, the Bible, was so significant to me while I was sick. I prayed that Lord's Prayer every single day. I've known this prayer since I was five. But, you know, it gets kind of rote after a while. But it came alive to me in a new way while I, was, while I had Ebola. I clung to that prayer like a drowning man. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Those words, as I went through that sequence of first affirming that God was my father, my loving dad who cared about me. And then placing myself in submission to him, saying, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Putting myself under his authority, really casting my cares on him, that kind of put me in a position to receive his comfort, his assurance, his grace. Deb was so good to me during the during those days when I was sick, about encouraging me through the word. There were days when I was too weak, I couldn't even pick up the Bible to, to read it, couldn't focus on it. And uh, I remember her reading to me over this uh, video link at the hospital in Nebraska that we had. I remember uh, her reading John 14 to me with the promises of Jesus about his promise of love, that he loved us, his promise to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to comfort us, his promise to give us peace beyond understanding. He said, not as the world gives. That means not, not because everything is fine, but because even when it's not fine, he's there. He's that rock for us to stand on. Several of the Psalms came up over and over again, especially Psalm 20 with its prayer May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. 
Paul says that we're given grace not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. And the word for suffer here is the Greek word pasklo, uh, from which we get the word, English word passion. And it implies either deep emotion or extreme suffering. This is the same word that the gospel writers use when they're telling the story of Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, you know, as he predicts his own coming crucifixion, he says, the Son of Man will have to suffer many things at the hands of the teachers and the elders. The structure of the verse makes it clear that Paul is saying that the suffering we experience, it's not just an obstacle to overcome or a burden to be thrown off. It's actually included for us in the package that comes from God's grace. It's part and parcel of what comes from God for us as believers. Why does God include suffering along with his grace? There are at least three reasons that the Bible makes clear to us as, as believers. There are many passages in the word which show that suffering is how God shapes our character. How he grows us up to be more like Jesus. Humble, loving. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, Paul states, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And later in that same letter to the Romans, Paul in the, in the well-known passage, Romans 8, 28 and 29, puts it even more succinctly. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Certainly for me, uh, my illness was a time when my character was shaped and molded. Uh, that was, it was a very humbling experience for me, you know, as a doctor, I'm supposed to know how not to contract Ebola, and here I was with Ebola. It also, it certainly made me more dependent on God for every little detail of my life, and it made me a more grateful person. I've been given a second chance uh, at life. What a blessing. And finally, my suffering really opened my eyes to the amazing people that God has placed both in my earthly family right around me and in the body of Christ, the family of God. And that leads us to the second result of suffering. Suffering is an opportunity for the body of Christ to function. At the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, we see Paul responding to a generous gift they'd made, a contribution of, uh, I think, money that they had sent. Uh, 
with their messenger Epaphroditus to Paul while he was in prison. And he says in verse 18 and following, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Jesus himself said that the world would know we are Christians by the love we show to one another. When I was sick, my family and I got to see how the body of Christ functions, loving and glorifying God through these practical demonstrations of that love, fixing meals for us, uh, you know, giving us rides places when we needed a ride, uh, just showing up at the house with uh, some contribution or help, being there to uh, help us deal with the media uh, in those first couple weeks. They've really just made such a difference. And then through prayer, the outpouring of prayer was amazing. I got cards from people all over the country who I have, I have no idea who they are, and they're writing me these cards. Just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you every day. That was so humbling and gratifying. And churches in Liberia, people who I know at church when I was there um, a couple of months ago, or, uh, several weeks ago now, came to me and told me, did you know that while you were sick, we were meeting as a church every day at noon to pray for you? Wow, what a humbling and gratifying thing. Finally, the suffering of those involved in spreading the gospel and in missionary work, paradoxically, serves to increase the spread of God's word. Earlier in chapter one, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let me share with you a story. Uh, when I was in Liberia about a month ago, uh, at our morning chapel meeting at the hospital, where the staff meets together for devotions in the morning, a gentleman named Peewee, uh, who works at the hospital in our record room, he stood up and shared his testimony. And he told us that Back in October, at the height of the Ebola crisis, he'd been praying for the people in the Ebola treatment unit. And he was grieved in his heart because they had no one, you know, in the hospital, the chaplain goes around and different prayer teams come in to, to go around and pray with patients and share the gospel with them. And he was grieved in his heart that no one was able to do that in the ETU, in the Ebola treatment unit. He told us that that same night that he'd been praying, he had a, a dream. And in his dream, a, an evil being had come looking for him and saying it was time. And then he heard a voice that said, no, it isn't time. Just two days later, Pee-wee started becoming sick. His eyes got red. He had a headache and a fever. And he started developing all the signs and symptoms of Ebola. He came to the hospital and was evaluated. He was tested and admitted to the, uh, what we call the suspect 
portion of the ward. And his test confirmed that indeed he had Ebola. Now he, he didn't get as sick uh, with all the symptoms as I did. He didn't have the, all the vomiting and diarrhea. But he was quite ill and he was, had to be in the treatment unit for about two weeks. And while he was in there, he made sure to visit with every patient who came in. And he prayed with them and he shared the good news with them. And he knows of at least one gentleman who received Jesus as his savior before he died from Ebola. And to hear Pee-wee praising God and thanking God for the opportunity to suffer so that the gospel might be shared was just almost too much. Um, Certainly, Debbie and I have seen that our difficulties and our challenges have really opened the door for opportunities to speak, whether through the media or to groups uh, in communities or student gatherings, to really name the name of Jesus and to share our confidence in him and the motivation to show his love that's the motivation for our work. I think uh, the other Ebola survivors, people like Kent Brantley and Nancy Wrightball, who are friends and, and of mine and colleagues, they've also seen that this has been an amazing platform to share Christ. Paul says that his imprisonment gave confidence to most of the brothers to boldly speak the word of God without fear. And in that same way, I've had many friends uh, come up to me uh, since uh, by having survived Ebola, and they tell me, wow, you know, knowing you and being able to tell my coworkers or, or friends, hey, I know that guy who was on TV last night or was in the paper, it's opened the door for me to share with them about faith in Christ. Now, I can't say that I understand exactly how God has worked through all this, but I know he has been working, and it's been a part of what he's been doing in his grace. The third verb, or the third expression that Paul uses in chapter 1, verse 30 about the Philippians is that they were engaged in the same conflict which they saw in Paul's life. And I like the way that's translated in the English Standard Version. The way he says engaged. I like that, that idea. But in the Greek, the key word here is actually the word for conflict or struggle. And that word is agona like agony, from which we get our, our English word agony. The word actually implies a contest or a fight, like, like what would happen in the Colosseum between two gladiators. So Paul is telling the Philippians, you see me in the ring. You see me in the battle. By God's grace, you are in the battle too. What does that mean, to be engaged in the battle? Well, first of all, what kind of a fight is it? What kind of a battle is it? It's not a military conflict. Not, it's not a physical fight. Not a political contest. It's a spiritual one. It's about the darkness that seeks constantly to overwhelm us and to overcome the good that's in the world. And it's the... It's the fight to bring the light of Jesus and of life in Jesus to that situation. All through the Gospels, we see the way Jesus engaged with his world. 
when he met somebody who was unloved, cast aside, he loved them. When he met somebody who was uh, sick, suffering, he healed them. When he met someone who was ignorant, he taught them. Jesus was engaged in dispelling the darkness with his marvelous light. This is a mindset that we can take with us everywhere we go, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're shoveling snow in our driveways. Any of you been spending any time doing that lately? You know, even just in your neighborhood, there are opportunities to think with that kingdom mindset of building relationships where you can see God's light spread around in your, in your circle of, of contacts. You know, Debbie and I, over the course of our lives, have really felt the Lord calling us to Liberia and the people of Liberia. And over the years, the thing that's been most energizing for me has been seeing God use us to make a difference in somebody's life. Like, I think of our AIDS patients. Some of these people have come to the hospital so sick, you know, really literally on their deathbeds. And we are able to offer them hope and comfort medical help, and we've seen some of those people pull through and make it in response to our prayers, and then God restores them, restores their life back to them. Some of the, I, I was able to see some of these people uh, on my recent trip, people who've been in our program for over a decade, some of them, and many of these people have come to Christ because of just the difference he's made in their lives restoring them physically, restoring them spiritually, restoring them in their families, in their communities. And uh, that's, that's when I feel most energized, is when God uses me in the conflict, in that battle, to push away darkness and bring in light. Um, my recent trip to Liberia was a wonderful uh, visit. I got to uh, meet... Uh, the staff at the Ebola treatment unit who took care of me, you know, for those three days while I was there, I didn't get to know any of them very well, and I, I never got to see them out of their, outside of their suits. So this was my first time to actually see their faces and uh, just to see the joy. It was great. These are real heroes. These people have been putting in hours of, in, the, in those hot, oppressive suits, risking their lives really to care for people and to bring people back from the brink. With, uh, with Ebola. I also had the opportunity to be part of our, our regular medical staff at the hospital. I got to take care of this little, uh, little uh, six-week-old who had pyloric stenosis. Uh, some of you who are medical in the room may know what that is. Um, condition that requires surgery to uh, unblock the outlet of the stomach. And uh, w what a privilege to be a part of the team that diagnosed him and cared for him and got him ready for surgery. Um, you know, that was just so rewarding to be back in the arena, if you will, seeing God work through those he's called to serve. But if we back up a little bit now, um, kind of let go of Liberia and let go of my story and look at the worldwide situation, what is God doing around the world? What remains of the task to bring the gospel to every nation? Paul helps us to think about this strategically uh, 
as he did in Romans 15, 20, he said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. As the church has been called and reawakened by God over the last 200 years to, uh, you know, carry out this great, tremendous movement of mission that's been going on, uh, bringing love and the word of God to people, groups all over the world who didn't have it before. Many groups have been reached with the good news and have churches of their own now. Many have the Bible now available to them in their own language to read it for themselves for the first time. Many of the groups who a generation ago were targets of mission are now sending missionaries themselves. You know, right now, this very weekend, uh, the leadership of SIM, our mission, are meeting in, in uh, South Asia, and their, their focus is on this issue, reaching those who are living and dying without Christ. That's the theme of, their, of the conference. And you know, over the last 200 years, the people groups who were easy to reach and who quickly responded to the gospel, they've been reached. And those which remain are those that have high cultural, political, or spiritual boundaries, barriers against the gospel. In Liberia, there are probably four, just four small people groups in more isolated, harder to reach areas with the strongest Muslim or, or animistic traditions that have no strong indigenous church. And that same pattern that we've seen in Liberia is playing out all over the world. The places that remain are the ones that are the hardest to reach. So this idea of a conflict and the idea that being obedient to Christ may involve risk of imprisonment, injury, even death, this is going to become more and more a part of what it means to be a Christian on mission. This is a time for us to be listening to the guiding Holy Spirit, even as we're obeying God's call on our lives to be involved in the fulfillment of Christ's great commission. As you listen to him, be ready to respond by going, by praying, by giving, by supporting. And as in any battle, we need to be prepared for casualties. You know, here in, here in America, in the 21st century, it's hard for us to accept the idea of suffering, of facing a risk for the sake of the gospel. But more and more, we need to face this reality. And I think, you know, from what I'm understanding as I get to know BlackRock, this church does that. This church understands the depth of commitment that it takes uh, to reach people for Christ. You know, for me personally, when I have succeeded, it was because I was humbly walking with Jesus and following his voice. When I have failed, it was because I was allowing myself to become distracted, to become busy, to become self-centered, and, and to no longer focus on what Jesus is calling me to. So let's keep our focus on Christ as we believe as we even accept suffering, and as we engage in the mission before us with all of our beings. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have allowed us to be partakers of grace. 
that in Jesus, in his willingness to come to this earth, to leave heaven where he was ruling with you and to come to this uncomfortable, dangerous place and to be, uh, you know, to be somebody who could understand what we go through and then to pay the ultimate price, to suffer and die on the cross for us. Lord, he's our example. And Lord, as we consider his example, we want to be ready to hear your voice to us. We want, we want to be ready to respond. And whether that means going, moving somewhere different to reach somebody with the gospel, whether that means uh, making a, a sacrifice of time to pray, to communicate and correspond with people and pray for them, whether it means making a financial contribution, a financial choice to make a difference in the world. Lord, whatever it is, we want to be available to you. Speak to us now. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.